Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, great chance to get back into doing a live mailbag. Haven't done these in quite some time. So thanks so much to everyone for joining in the audience. We will encourage you to raise your hands, get on stage. And this will, of course, be released as a podcast later. In fact, a public podcast. So if you want to join this experience in our Discord, which has been called the, oh man, I can't remember the exact quote now. It was, it was like the least miserable online space ever or something about that, something like that. Uh, maybe maybe someone remembers that I could tell me, but uh, that is one of the benefits that you get to talk to other hoop nerds like me and Danny and whoever we're going to start with. So Danny, I will leave it to you. I'll start with somebody who has a name that will sound familiar to you. And it's somebody whose name is Danny spelled differently. Hey guys, a uh, quick question. And I know this uh, is probably the type of thing you normally do more research on, but I was wondering um, if you were to redraft 2021, which is the Canadian Pan Mobley draft, um, who would you have roughly as the top, I don't know, like four or five? That's what I was wondering. Thanks. All right, well, let's get the old 2021 draft in front of us uh, and give it a shot. Yeah. I can, I'll, I'll run through the lottery really quickly. Great. Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes, Jalen Suggs, Josh Giddy, Jonathan Kaminga, Franz Wagner, Davion Mitchell, Zaire Williams, James Booknight, Josh Primo, Chris Duarte, Moses Moody, players taken below that that we might consider, Alpern Shangoon, Trey Murphy, Jalen Johnson. I mean, if we're only doing top four or five, probably not Quentin Grimes or Cam Thomas. Herb Jones, Kessler Edwards. I just like Kessler Edwards. And I'm looking through the undrafted uh, Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves undrafted, but we consider them eligible for this kind of a question with a redraft. Okay. Yeah, he absolutely would be. Yeah, number one prospect. I can't remember who I was listening to recently who said, it might have been Hoop Collector, who said Scotty Barnes would clearly be the number one pick if we did a redraft. And he certainly has had a very nice start to the season. A lot of that has been based on shooting, but you know, if, if you look a little more closely, he still is not really any more efficient than he's been. Uh, but he's been more aggressive shooting the three. I think the bigger thing that's been exciting is that he's blocking more shots and getting more steals. Uh, so that that's something that is exciting. He's averaging one point three blocks, one point eight steals per thirty six. I'm still not seeing him as like the game changing defender because I don't love him as an on ball guy, but he's doing more as a help defender. You might make the argument that he has the highest upside at this point because he has improved and I think he's a better two foot leaper than he was like uh, physically you might say that he has the highest upside of any of those guys so that's that's kind of the case for Scotty Barnes at this point I, w- I want to kind of talk through it since we're just uh, addressing this yeah. for the first time so I'll I'll lay out who I think are the the candidates for like for the higher spots in this and that would be Evan Mobley, Scotty, in no particular order. Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes, Alpern Shangoon, Franz Wagner, Cade Cunningham, depending on how much we're leaning on priors. priors Those is, guys are priors all... Priors might have to be Cade Cunningham's middle name at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of the, if there are other guys. So part of why I think that's kind of the first delineation is like clear-cut starters with the potential to be more as as a, you know, like kind of as a division. And there are guys who have a lot of upside who aren't in that group, like Jalen Green. But, and I would say Cade Cunningham's place as a clear-cut starter is a little murkier, but I also continue to believe that if he scaled down his usage, he he could be a, a reliable off- offensive and defensive player. Yeah, and he would be a, in a much different situation, potentially, later in his career. And you know, I, I still, is he, do I see him now as being a potential top 10 player in the league? Eh, probably not. Maybe he could be kind of more of a lower-end all-star as a secondary option. And he still does, you know, in theory, 
theory doesn't have huge weaknesses in his game it'd be nice if he could make a shot at some point he's not like incredibly athletic he's taken i think some strides this year just watching him although the statistics haven't been there i think to me the clear answer though would be evan mobley i realize he's kind of fallen out of favor a little bit and the fact that he just hasn't evolved as a shooter is is a problem but I also think that he could be, you know, a Bam Adebayo type of defensive player, maybe not as strong, but as a switch guy. Uh, and the thought is like, oh, well, he's a center and, you know, he can't really play that much power forward. I think he, you know, playing him next to a center is working okay for now. And that's come more into vogue. But like this guy to me is, you know, playing at the kind of close to a defensive player of the year sort of level. Uh, even now, he's probably a top five defensive player in the world, certainly top 10. And he has a long way to go. He can get stronger. So I, I think he definitely can play more center uh, as time goes on, even if maybe he doesn't start there. So I, I think while I am usually more about ceiling, there isn't anyone that has like so sexy of a ceiling at this point to me that I would take them over the greater certainty. Like there are probably people who think like Scotty Barnes has been better than Evan Mobley this season. Like I completely disagree with that. Like Evan Mobley has been awesome. A defensive. I want to make a case. I, I want to make a case for Franz Wagner. And I, I have probably have Mobley. I have Mobley one too, but I would have Franz Wagner in the same tier because well, well, don't start what your I've, case with his uh, his true shooting percentage this year. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the idea, I mean, if if you want to say that Franz Wagner is a 29% three-point shooter moving forward, then I'll, then, then fine. But I vehemently disagree with that. But Wagner does a couple of really important things well. He can defend within a team concept. He's not the lead guy in that, but he can do, he can defend multiple positions and he doesn't make a ton of mistakes. His aggressive driving works very well with another better player or if you need like in second units you need him to be that guy i think he can do it and that combination for a wing-sized guy who's you know wagner listed at 610 but he can defend threes he can defend fours not at a star level so i would have mobley one but i think my two three debate would be wagner and shangun yeah we haven't talked enough about it about Shingun and you know are we getting to the point where we're gonna be talking about him as the third best offensive center in basketball uh, I mean who who is that right now I, mean, I guess would you say it's Carl Anthony Towns if you are even gonna consider him a center uh but the way that he's like been a part of one of the best defenses like it's hard to argue that he's some huge defensive liability anymore along the lines of maybe like a Sabonis uh now he has a lot more talent next to him than Sabonis but you know I think he might you could even argue maybe that he's been better than Sabonis this year we have to really dive into that but like his posting up is something that is really really difficult for teams to stop at this point and so uh, while again i'm kind of like all right you know nikola Jokic is his own unicorn historically and of course shangun is going to get compared to him forever and that's probably unfair to him uh and i also am kind of skeptical of whether shangun is going to ever get to the same level of outside shooting that someone like Jokic would get to or maybe even that someone like Embiid would get to so you know i think if shangun like I th- he could definitely be an all-star. He could be an all-star as soon as this year, even. Absolutely. Um, I yeah. So. I, I haven't really thought about what my ballot would be, but I think he's been the second best center in the Western Conference so far. Um, and yeah. Shingun, not a multi-position defender, but we're getting more and more data that he can be like in many ways. Shingun is the player some people thought Sabonis was, mm-hmm. where he is a good enough defender to actually make it work, and then he is this talented offensive guy and. He doesn't, they don't function in exactly the same way, but the idea that you, I think Shangun has shown more that he can be a player on a, like he can be the center on a high level team than Sabonis has. Not that you have to compare the, him to Sabonis or to Jokic, but I mean, not that EPM is gospel currently, if we're going with guys that are listed at the five. Shangun, number three in offensive EPM. He's miles behind the top two of Jokic and Embiid, but yeah. All right, let's just do our top five quickly, and then we'll let Danny uh, weigh in here as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I do think Shingun's probably better than Scotty Barnes still. So I, I'll probably go Mobley one, Shingun two. I still am going to go Kate over Scotty Barnes three, Scotty Barnes four, and five is ooh, uh, yeah. I mean, or do I like Franz better than Scotty Barnes? I mean, that's those guys have both have had somewhat disparate starts to the season. Um, yeah, I think I probably would go Barnes over Fog because Fogner. I'm just struggling to see the upside with him, although like his driving is great, but I'm just not 
not sure if he's got like that much feel as a score and his shooting is a little concerning to me he's never really been like a great shooter from the outside but yeah it's been at least uh for a draft class that was looking like it sucked two years in like there are a lot of guys having really nice starts so so that's encouraging uh danny you got any I, thoughts I don't, oh, sorry D- D- danny yeah I'll, I'll go through or, or, oh yeah you got oh oh yeah i'll just do mine briefly um mobley shangun Wagner, I mean, I have Wagner, um, Cade, and Barnes just like all together in a clump. I mean, you can put him in yeah. honestly whatever order that that that's pretty firmly a tier for me. But now, yeah, we can go to we can go to the questioner. Yeah, thanks for your patience. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, that was that, that was an awesome answer, guys. And um, I'm a big Shangun fan, so I, I enjoyed hearing you guys talk about it. Um, I think both of your guys' responses are completely reasonable. Um, it's I I almost even though I asked the question, it almost feels like impossible to answer until I see if like Scotty Barnes like actually makes threes or not because uh you know I watched a game of his recently where he wasn't making them and he kind of like had that like sort of like weird Kyle Anderson look on offense where I was like oh this guy's not a star you know and then um then sometimes he looks incredible so I I He's like probably one of the hardest players in the entire league for me to like know actually how how good he is. Um, and the Raptors also like don't really have anyone to help him out, so uh, I I have no idea what to do with him. But uh, thanks thanks so much for the answer, guys. Yeah, I mean certainly his shooting improvement this year, going from three to five point three per thirty six and twenty eight percent to thirty eight percent. Again, this is only ninety two attempts, but the increased volume in particular, I, I think, is is pretty encouraging there. So I, I think you do. I am now pricing in more shooting improvement for him than maybe I would have thought at the end of last year. Again, if I don't think he's a 38% three-point shooter but that uh, the idea that he'll do it well enough to get by and open up some of the other aspects is starting to look real to me have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like hey we came to play did you tip your tiara to a creole princess or get goofy officially step up like a boss and save the day or see what life's like under the tree of life did you if you could would you when we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, okay, Danny, who's next for us here? Uh, Raf, and apologies if I ever mispronounce your name. Just give us the correct one. Raf, you're next, and then Ryan Air will be after. Hey, awesome. No, that was perfect. Uh, thanks for uh, bringing me up to the stage. So you guys have talked about how awesome the the, uh, the in-season tourney is. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I'm a Rockets fan, so I really enjoyed even just being part of the, uh, you know, potentially making it. It made the regular season so much more interesting. I was having a, a discussion with my friends. Some of them are, you know, casual NBA fans. And they were like, you know, why, why do people care about this? Uh, why do the players and teams care about this? I was wondering if you guys have any inside info. Like, is it the cash? Is it the trophy? Is it just the novelty of the thing? Like, is this going to stick? Um, wh- why do the teams, why are they trying so hard to get into the journey and why do they care so much about it? It's a great question. And I think there are a couple of different answers. One of them is the money. And Anthony Davis talked about this well. And it's also the motivation to give this to the other players. Another part of it is it's really important for the league. And you can think about that from a money perspective as well. Because if this does well, it can theoretically drive up the price of that component of the bidding for the next national TV deal. And if the MBPA is properly conveying this to players, if that deal gets bigger, your share of BRI gets your share of BRI is largely the same. So BRI goes up, then the, the cash machine goes a little bit better. And that's good for that's good for the players. And I think it's also a time of year where pushing a little harder in these games isn't causing all these negative consequences. One of my favorite things about the NBA Cup is the distance between it and the actual playoffs. So there could be, you know, there could be some wear and tear and all that kind of stuff, but it's far enough away that I don't think we're going to see other than, you know, like, and the random chance of an injury happening in these games versus in other games is, is fair and like, is fair enough for me to wash away. 
So I think that that gives you a couple of explanations. Yeah, and I can add to that. Fred and I talked about this a little bit because the Knicks made it. We talked about the in-season tournament overall when I was on his pod earlier today. And he, I asked him what the Knicks players were saying around it. And Julius Randle's like, yeah, I just want to take a trip to Vegas. Like, that'll be cool. Um, I think LeBron James really embracing it and saying that it's important. A lot of players take their cues uh, from him. Certainly the... 500k matters particularly for these guys at the end of the roster and to be able to win that like these guys you know they are a team they do buy into that to some degree i mean it's not the same as you know maybe your high school team was or something but i think there is a a feeling of like trying to have a community and that that also helps you win games and also like these guys are competitive and this is fun like what why wouldn't you just like hey we get something that actually matters in the course of this 82 game season that we can try a little harder on and the fans uh, have been into it as well so the coaches seem to be going for it i think also i mentioned this with fred today like it's just it's success like like that matters right like the coaches hey all right maybe we were 500 this year but we made it to the quarterfinals of the tournament all right maybe i don't get fired right like that goes into your resume if you're a player you guys if the vibes around the organization are better that gets everyone paid for an extension or it gets you not traded if you don't want to be traded or or so i mean like to get these guys are in this profession because they want to win and they want to get paid and this is something to win and something to get paid so that's uh it seems like it makes perfect sense that it would be something that they would go for particularly because it's not like taking away from the drudgery or or, or it's not like the drudgery of these other games it's like oh man like now because we're uh doing this tournament we're missing out on like the regular regular season so i i think it's great and i i'm glad that you guys seem to acknowledge that they do seem to care about it quite a bit and and nate as demon llama pointed out in the comments the in-season tournament has already created the greatest coaching highlight of the decade so it's a win and i mean the for those of you who joined us on NBA Ricochet on playback yesterday. That was absolutely delightful. Oh yeah. No, it was great. I mean, not, not only that, but also just like getting to nerd out with the spreadsheets and stuff. I mean, here's the thing too, right? Is anybody saying this is bad right now? Is there anyone saying like, oh, this whole thing is stupid. Like, I don't care. Now I've gotten a few comments on Twitter of like, well, I'm glad you media dorks like it. Like the fans don't actually care. Um, but okay, may- like maybe there are some fans who don't care, but there are some who do. And particularly for us hardcore people, like this is that group stage in particular was amazing. Like I listened to the Martian and, and Oran podcast. This is my favorite sports media podcast. They were saying they thought it was really good today and that the stuff they're doing with the courts and the money and like the players obviously playing hard is really good. So uh, this gives them something else to sell, uh, of course, as well for the TV deal. So uh, I think like it, it's, been to me a nearly unequivocal success so far i think there may be some backlash after like you know if the knicks make it to vegas and then they have to go all the way back to new york and then all the way back to utah again and like you know things will have to be fixed there in terms of the schedule and things like that but i i'm generally i think it's been you know 95 percent positive if not more one other thing i want to file away there may be an opportunity for the NBA to kind of like time this a little bit different and like take over like maybe a weekend or something. Maybe they can make this more of a thing. That would be fun. The problem is it's during the NFL season. And so it's harder to do that. Like, I mean, maybe you do this a little bit later and it culminates with Martin Luther, uh, like a championship game on Martin Luther King Day. That would be really interesting. You know, so football's in the playoffs at that point. You could also, uh, well, I guess this will never happen. I was going to say that you could have the championship on Christmas, but Christmas, it's already its own thing. So they probably wouldn't want it. Exactly. And those are scheduled games. Yeah. Yeah. And the um, NBA already has that most years. Yeah. Anything you want to add there? Yeah, no, just I, I think it's been a, a big success. I hope it sticks around. Like, I wonder if in future years, if the novelty wears off, people stop caring about it. But it's it's been huge, this and the play-in. I mean, it's just made the, the regular season, especially this part of the regular season. You know, I think so many things I was like early on, I was like, why are they starting the, in, the in-season tournament so early? But now it makes total sense, right? This is the part of the season where you want to make things more interesting. And so, uh, yeah, you want to offset from NFL playoffs, things like that. And so, yeah, I think it's been, it's been awesome. Well, the other thing I'll say, too, in terms of the timing is fewer guys are injured early in the year. Everyone kind of has hope early in the year as well, right? Like if the, you know, you get to January and, you know, the Bulls have, I mean, obviously the Bulls sucked anyway, but the Bulls have traded all their guys and they're just completely not competitive even at like the start of this thing it's much better off to be like getting people excited for with, with games that matter right away and yeah i mean the the pistons lost hope before the end but they hadn't lost hope at the start so <laughs>
Well, thank you. For, thank you so much for the question. Yeah, thanks, let's, go, let's go to Ryanair. Hey, guys, big fan. Um, wait, wait, hold, hold I'm, on, uh, Ryan. Rocker. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to charge you uh, a, a few dollars, actually. Uh, if you, you your, your initial uh, dunked on prime purchase price, it, it got you like into the room. You got to say a few words, but we're, we're going to have to upsell you a little bit if, if you want to keep talking. I'm sorry. Yeah, not, not that big of a fan. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a Raptors fan, and I know we've moved on. I just I have to comment on the, the Barnes thing. Like, the, the last guest speaker, Danny, like he nailed it actually. Like, and it's a point that I don't know. I, I just haven't heard in the national media, but certainly our reporters here in Toronto notice it a lot and comment on it. Probably the biggest criticism is just his motor. Like it just varies so much. He looks like a nobody in so many games. And then he just, he does have games and stretches where he looks dominant and you just don't know what you're going to get and what the ceiling is going to be. And I actually think like, those of us who watch him a lot are probably not the most qualified to comment on how realistic it is that a player reaches the heights of their flashes. But I just wonder, like, some, like those first nine games, he he actually looked like a star. Like I was, I was so totally convinced, and I would soured on him after last year that this guy could go somewhere. And yeah, like I just, I just don't know what to make of a player who has so many issues with their motor. Um, I mean, I'll leave that to you. But my my actual question is a lot shorter. Um, I just know that uh, this team needs to rebuild, and I've been on the rebuild bandwagon for a long time, and it looks like. Uh, Pascal and OG are probably the two most valuable pieces that could kind of like push you in a good direction for a rebuild. I just now I'm worried that you won't get good return for those guys as they're expiring. And now I wonder if it actually makes sense to trade them at the deadline or if it's worth gambling on re-signing them, even overpaying them with the idea that you could actually get more return by then trading them next season at the deadline. Um, and that being the wisest path forward for a rebuild. I uh, just wanted to know your thoughts on that because I have seen teams like Detroit, looks like Wizards will be the same way. Teams that don't start their rebuild with a huge haul, just it seems to take a lot longer. It seems to go not as well. Yeah. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Now, I mean, Memphis, I wouldn't say they'd start with like a huge haul, but they also got John Morant basically in the first year of their true rebuild. Um, so, you know, I think... You just got to put them like uh, part of the criticism of the Raptors. Like they haven't like really been shopping guys. Like they need to like actually shop these guys, uh, I would say, and see what the return is. And yeah, if it's anything that's, you know, even like say two major assets or so, I think you probably do need to do it that time. You know, if Pascal Siakam were two years younger, I think I I would be singing a a different tune right now, but particularly when you're going to give him this next contract, that's probably going to be three or four years and probably going to be close to the max. that's a, maybe not where you want to be. That's a high high risk. Maybe you bring him back and it goes well and you can trade him again. Or maybe just your team gets better somehow, although like better enough, it th- doesn't seem likely to where they're actually like a real like home court advantage threat, which is kind of the line that I have of, of whether your team is worth keeping together or not. So I, yeah, I think I, I would just pretty much take what I can get, particularly because they've been down this road with Fred Van Vliet last year and they totally mismanagement. So I don't necessarily trust them to be able to recoup more assets. Now, okay, if it's just hey here here's a like you know one per first round pick in the 20s for siakam okay might as well hold on to him but you'd think the offer's better than that the other big concern is i'll, I'll summarize it as the philadelphia 76ers that i don't know toronto is a better sale like ha- has a better argument other than we can pay you more money and the we can pay you more money over that like fifth year that might not necessarily make it as tradable of a contract depending on how siakam and or Ananobi do from there and I don't know whether either of those gentlemen would prefer to be a Sixer than a Raptor. I don't know that, but it is there is going to be a capable team with max space this year in all likelihood. And that theoretically, you could also maybe negotiate a trade with Daryl Morey. That's never the most fun experience, but it's hard for the Raps. And I I think that they... They waited too long. I've been wrong on this before. Vucevic is probably one of the prime examples where they waited too long and still got roughly the same return. The The Clippers with Chris Paul, where he opted in and then went, I think they got as much as they would have if they had traded him when I, I, I was remembering this because I got yelled at about it. Um, sporting news piece that argued they should trade Chris Paul. So there are pathways for it, but I think generally 
waiting waiting too long when the writing is already on the wall teams should just move a little bit more quickly than they actually do yeah siakam is difficult in particular because he because of his fit issues and because he's not like truly a premium creator it's hard to convince a, a lot of these teams that are you know like oh he's the piece that's going to put us over the top for a championship and the pacers to me are the most natural fit for him because they do have a bit of a chasm at the four they have some assets that, that they could trade back they have enough salary flexibility going forward that they could retain him uh so that that's and they're not really a free agent destination anyway so that's that's kind of a thought and the, the pacers are like hey if we're, we're getting but, but he's gonna have to say that he wants to resign yeah or well, that he's at but, least willing like, to i mean i guess and i guess there is still the sixers thing out there i still like the other than the cameroonian aspect the siakam and bead fit is not too exciting to me uh, personally but you know you, you kind of take what you can get at, at that point if, if you're the sixers he is a good player and you know, og i think i mean it wouldn't surprise me if og could get more money as a free agent than or, or sort of not more money but uh get more of a return in trade than siakam just because he'll have more suitors because he fits basically basically anywhere although there are of course the questions about him resigning and what he wants his role to be as well so i guess like what the question comes down to is what is like the minimum return that you would feel decent about going into a rebuild because like i just hate the idea of going into a rebuild with like you know one or two picks that are distant which is like realistically the return you're getting for players of this caliber who are expiring where the team doesn't know what they're going to get after this season or this playoff run you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and let's see whether Scotty Barnes is looking like oh maybe he could be like a a a solid if not like not only all star but like all NBA sort of player like if he's feeling like that at the trade deadline maybe that changes your approach a little bit but uh, like I, I'm just I mean the other thing about rebuilding is your own draft pick matters now they fucked themselves so hard with the Pirtle trade uh, just so inexplicable that, that they did that so they owe a top six protected pick to San Antonio so they can't really tank this year but the longer if you keep siakam around next year then you're still delaying the inevitable so i i understand your thought on like hey i, I don't want to go into a rebuild without these picks but the biggest thing in your rebuild is actually your own pick in the end and so i think if i could get what i would consider like two solid assets for any of their guys i, I would move them at that point thank you to ryanair for the question let's go to Devin. hey guys thanks for taking my question it's about the uh the IST in-season tournament sort of courts. I know it's been a bit of a mixed bag. We've had players complaining about the uh, paint jobs sliding around. Um, I personally don't like the red on those courts, especially Chicago's. Uh, the blues have been great, like on Atlanta and OKC. I wanted to talk about sort of, you know, uh, college basketball. Some uh, organizations have very radical designs on their courts. And I think we've seen uh, recently uh, some city edition courts have been pretty impressive and very uh, sort of breaking the mold, trying to do some different things. Do you think that the IST courts uh, experimented to very wide ranging designs uh, is sort of an experiment by the league to sort of dip their toes into more radical court designs? And if so, do you think the experiment was a success or a failure? Well, I don't think they're going to want to go too far because they'll want to still have the in-season tournament courts be differentiated. Well, yeah, so I, I the idea that the league appears to have had and coordinated with whoever designed the courts is that they're distinct but look like each other, the general yeah. format. Uh, and so that creates some creative limitations because if it's going to have this general format, I think the idea of going wilder would be really fun. Maybe having some definitive, you know, like, like I, I don't want to do any. I, I personally have not liked some of the Oregon courts. Um, I'm a Pac-12 guy until it dies, RIP. Um, but like some of the Oregon ones were a little bit distracting for me. But the idea of trying, because remember, an in-season tournament court will only be seen a maximum of three times because then they're going to Vegas and that will presumably have its own thing. We don't know exactly what that's going to be at this juncture. I haven't seen anything on it. So I'm fine with going harder. My biggest criticism of it, I, I think the idea of having them be different and having them be, you know, like kind of look like each other in the general style and then have different color differences. First of all, fix the colors. Second of all, better coordination between the colors and the color that the home team is wearing. Like there were some crazy circumstances where they like it seems like Nike didn't like they, they made the colors too close or they were too weird. And then just a pet peeve of mine. I think that 
the color scheme that a team uses should be closer to either what the color scheme that they use now or an I clearly identifiable one in their history. Like I thought Sacramento's court was too blue and that that was a problem because they have used blue in their past, but they're more clearly identified with purple. And that doesn't mean they should wear purple and purple uniforms. But I think that there were things I didn't like about it, but as a first try, yeah, I think they could build off this. Yeah, nothing to add there, really. I, 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 they grew on me some. The red ones were annoying. The, the orange was like, oh, how are you going to see the ball? It actually was fine, I, I thought, for the Knicks. But yeah, the, the beat red ones, that made it a little hard to see the ball and was slightly annoying. But it's not like, you know, I couldn't, as I was doing like live announcing, you know, that I couldn't figure out what was going on. So, and I think the biggest, this point was made on uh, the Martian and Oren pro- podcast so that when you walk into a bar and you see this court up there you're like oh what is this like you're drawn in a little bit it's a great point i have a brief follow-up about that um there was some consternation in the beginning about whether the tracking cameras would have trouble with these new courts has there been any indication about whether that's come to fruition yet or not not that i have heard uh and yeah it's uh I could see it being a little harder. <laughs> they wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. I, I, I do. Th- I mean, Ethan Strauss reported that there have been some issues with the new provider. Uh, so we'll see. They're, they're hoping to get some new features out pretty soon. I, I think like there was a something on social media where it had the speed of the ball that LeBron James dunked down and like how high above the rim his hand got and and how high off the ground he got. So that, that was all. That would be kind of cool stuff. Uh, more novelty, but that would be kind of stuff uh, for us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Thank next? you, Devin. My- Miles, you're on the air. Uh-oh, get, get ready. This is going to be a hardcore CBA question, I'm guessing. Uh, if, if history is any guide for Miles, let, let's see. I, I, hopefully, I'm not putting too much pressure on you here. It was actually going to be a Raptors question, but then uh, the last or a couple of questioners ago touched on the miserable era that we're currently in. So uh, I wanted to pivot to a different direction. Your latest player rankings was dominated by foreign players, or at least players who their first development in basketball was outside of the United States. Do you think there's something about how players are developing in the U.S., or is it just like the rest of the world is catching up? That's a good question. My short short answer is yes, I, I do. And in part, Jokic is a great example of this, that it took America longer than it took certain parts of the rest of the world to allow players who were bigger than point guard size to have the ball in their hands a lot. And the 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 game that we're playing when it's coming to the best of the best is not only the physical talent, but giving them those opportunities. And there are exceptions, you know, like oh the all the old old stuff about Anthony Davis being a guard and then growing up. And there's more of that moving forward. I mean, I saw I saw some games where Chet in high school had the ball in his hands more than guys used to. But so that created some of those circumstances. Giannis is another example there. And I think I I hope that that will that that difference will erode in time that America has gotten better there. And, you know, Luca, obviously, he's not point guard size. He's done that. And we, there are exceptions to prove the rule, like LeBron and, and Harden had the ball a lot in high school and in college. But I think they were better there. And in terms of the other stuff, I mean, it, it can be, you know, like we're, when we're talking about the best of the best, like that being able to do things with the ball in your hands is typically the most important differentiator for the two of us when we're doing player evaluations. And there are a lot of guys where that's not going to be useful, where that's not going to work. But I'm generally of the belief that ball skills are useful, even if you're not a primary player. And there are different times that I think that's been true. And so until everyone's on a level playing field there, then yeah, I think it mattered. 
my th- one thing i can throw out there I'll, I'll echo what you said and usa still has like the best wings and maybe we are reaching a point at which you know, the wings aren't as important as they were because of like Nicole Jokic is just too good like he's kind of breaking the game in a different way as an offensive player and so so maybe maybe that's part of it the biggest thing actually I could point to though as I thought about this is injuries that I I think that American players are just having to play way more they play too much when they're younger they play year-round European players are, are who are like you know joining club teams when they're a little bit younger like that's they don't have a situation where they're like traveling and playing five games in a weekend or, or something like that and a lot of the discussion about how bad guys knees are for example coming into the league that's uh that's not good right i mean like zion williamson john morant like those guys job had his own issues but like zion's been totally felled by andrews he was supposed to be like the next great american like anthony davis has really been limited by some of that stuff so i i, I think maybe more so than like the way americans develop players and there hasn't really i mean if you think about it there hasn't been well i and maybe this is a more of it too as you mentioned with the bigs that yeah like with in europe there aren't all these amazing guards so bigs either get the ball more or are just generally developed more whereas in the u.s you're going to be playing au with some guard who's you know especially if you're like kind of an awkward big when you're younger who's gonna like not be getting you the ball as much like you're not gonna be, get the be the one handling and making a bunch of decisions and so you're you're not gonna develop the same skill level as maybe someone in europe is so the, the, those are all some of the issues that i come up with but it is certainly troubling i would say uh and just a lot of these america it's not like all the top guys who are getting drafted are are foreign necessarily it's that like the american guys aren't developing as well once they reach the league uh, in addition uh to uh you know some of the injury concerns that they have coming up uh let's take yeah go go ahead finish up miles then we'll uh we'll take a question from the uh the chat yeah I, i think that's interesting it's a similar discussion like i'm here in calgary and there's the discussion about hockey all the time and why the Canadian national team's not doing as well. And, you know, it's that, that same thing where you've got this real focus on you have to score a bunch of goals, get a bunch of assists, get a bunch of highlight reel to get noticed, to get on the special teams. And that's how you got on these teams. And that's kind of the way you play forward. It's this kind of a bunch of ones instead of a team. And, you know, there's talk about how do you change that mentality and it, it seems to be kind of that similar idea of basketball. You're playing so many games and that's really how you get picked and how you get more development is you got to showcase these skills and you know, maybe there's something to that. So thanks for the time. Uh, do, do you do any uh, snow sports up there in Calgary, by the way? <laughs> Actually, my uh, my parents, when I was a kid, they made me a deal. I can either ski, play hockey, or play every other sport just because of how hellaciously expensive skiing and, <laughs> and uh, hockey were. So... I just did everything else, but I, I still know how to skate and ski, but yeah, it's certainly not a ton, but yeah, I hear you like coming up to Banff. Yeah, no, I, I, I love going up there. I'm, I'm, I was looking for an excuse to do it for Christmas, but we couldn't, couldn't make it happen this year. Um, all right, well, thanks for that. That's, uh, and, uh, oh, I actually what one more question. Uh, how have you ever eaten ginger beef? I've heard that that is like the, oh yeah, yeah, that's like, that oh, is yeah. a Calgary food i didn't have a chance to because when i drove through there a few years ago it was like nine in the morning so i couldn't get any but i've heard that that's like a calgary invention it's like chinese food but it's invented in calgary it's supposed to be really good oh yeah it's amazing it's like it's actually better than a lot of the i like it better than a lot of the other chinese food it's it's kind of like sweet and sour pork but beef but oh it's just got it it hits differently it's it's really good Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe maybe I'll I can like find someone gold belly belly and get it shipped to me. Uh. All right. So sorry. <laughs> sorry, everyone for uh for that derailment. Uh, appreciate it, Miles. Um. Can, Danny, can I hit this uh question in the chat real quick? Go ahead. Uh. So Barkhammer says, can you please explain to Australian why running up the score is quote unquote disrespectful to the game? And he says the players who are complaining about this also flop and argue with the refs and and trash talk the opposition and uh, all this. So uh can i please explain i think it's just a way to be a fake tough guy is and to be old school and it's the the success of you know like the tnt show with like Shaq and chuck and those guys so it's just i think that's kind of what some of these guys were raised on and they're just like trying to be like that that's the and 
both. As a general rule, when you're arguing about norms, you're losing because that's that's just the I the that's the la- it's the weakest argument that is possible where you can act like you have the moral high ground. And if it's only these couple times a year, then everyone else can just deal with it. Like that's just the way the way that it can be. And I think it will be a larger problem in the twenty four twenty five iteration of the NBA Cup because we should see more demolitions in the earlier games. Like it is something the team should the way team should approach this is those games, you, as long as you're viable, you need to push harder. And to, for better or for worse, it's going to lead to some wild outcomes. I don't know that it'll be intentional fouls in the first quarter or anything like that, but I do think we're going further in that direction moving forward. Yeah, now, now Let's I guess, go I guess to, what I would okay. say is it's unseemly to keep fighting when the other team has the other side is surrendered right like that's that's what it's about competition i mean even even as you go back to any point in history even oh see see i grew up in sports where that was always the case i don't i don't feel that way at all that you just keep keep pushing even when like if there's an incentive if there's an incentive to keep pushing for one for at least one team you cannot begrudge them for keeping on pushing. oh no no that that i agree with but i'm saying like why are they why is there a uh a prohibition on running up the score and like trying to embarrass teams like once they have already surrendered like in general yeah like i completely understand why that exists now this whole stupid thing about oh you shot the one shot at the end of the game or whatever like that's that's ridiculous but uh i, I do think this is a it's just a change for for some of these guys and i do think that they are wrong that's but true. i also understand why they're having a little bit of trouble wrapping their heads around it because they that's the, what they've been taught even since you know you're a little kid right like the the oh you you kept pressing this team that couldn't even get the ball over half court at the youth level and you win 150 to two or something like yeah that is unseemly so that's something that people have in their head let's go to scott hey thanks guys rockets uh, we doing rockets scott <laughs> no chance uh, um, uh so i've watched an obnoxious amount of detroit this year just because oh I love god Sarah thompson wow okay <laughs> i'm a glutton for bad basketball <laughs> um uh, my question on Detroit is it seems like they play five positionally sound defenders a lot of the time and yet have one of the worst defenses in the NBA. Yeah. Do you think that's more a personnel issue or these like early bad returns on Monty Williams? Yeah, we talked about this some on the 15 and 60, and I wish I could dig into it a little bit more since Detroit's kind of been eliminated from the in-season tournament. A lot of my game watching has been with that. I haven't been as focused on them the last couple of, of weeks, and I hope to do that at, at some point. But, uh, you know, I I'll, guess... I'll throw out... Can I throw out one weird stat about the Pistons? Opponents are shooting 50% on long twos against them. That is wild. Like that, I hadn't, I had, I hadn't seen that in, um, in, in some time. Like those are, let's say the median in the league is 42%. Granted, you don't want those to be a large portion of the attempts that you give up. And the Pistons are, where are they in location effective field goal percentage? They're 11th. So they're, they're not, they're doing relatively well overall, but like, that's a really weird thing. Yeah, and they uh, they are giving up a ton of transition, and they're not forcing any turnovers. Yeah. By the way, Danny, this is pretty crazy. Now, maybe this is just due to like home scoring a little bit. So Houston, and you mentioned they're playing at the slowest pace in the league uh, offensively, but on defense, they allow opponents to run seventeen point nine percent of the time after Houston's misses, and also they're getting very lucky in terms of like preventing teams from scoring there. Uh, yeah, there's got to be something crazy going on here because they're they are holding, according to this, on in the glass and sorry to take you guys through this they are holding opponents to an 88.8 offensive rating off of houston misses and they're also not letting them run at all so there's got to be some kind of issue with like the scoring there where you know maybe they're just like not categorizing the rebound as having happened quickly enough and then more of these are so few of these are being characterized as actual fast breaks and then so you're only getting ones at the end of of the the time period i forgot what their uh, cleaning glasses definition is like you know six seconds after a rebound is transition or something on the other side detroit getting back to the question has been awful uh they are 27th in the nba allowing opponents to run 33.5 percent of the time milwaukee
Milwaukee allows opponents to run 41% of the time in transition. That's off a live rebound. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's that is insane off a off a live. I mean, so that's and that is seven percentage points higher than the number uh 29 team, which is New Orleans. So that the just some interesting stuff in there. I just uh, but I think sometimes when you look into the stats of a team, you're like, hey, you know, they got like okay players, like what's going on there? Oh, they're letting opponents run a lot, and that's part of it. Also, their centers aren't any good. That's probably another thing. And just they're young. They're just probably making a lot of mistakes, would be my guess. Even if you have an Asar Thompson who, all right, he can guard his man really well one-on-one, and he is you know, pretty smart. He blocks some shots, he rebounds and stuff, but he still is not like so experienced. Maybe he's not as good of a communicator. You know, Jalen Duran is still 19. So he, he, he may be able to switch, and he might be able to jump really high, but he probably is not a great communicator, not great at executing. Uh, so the, I think that's where it comes from. Well, I certainly acknowledge that it is a total disappointment and you know bears further study as well on the communication front i in a couple of things that never really aired i talked with a couple of young bigs years ago about what is the biggest adjustment and all of them said it's the expectations of communication in the nba relative to what they did at the lower levels college and high school and that in the NBA, like everyone's more verbal, but the center is supposed to do so much more. So it wouldn't be a surprise that Jalen Duran, a guy who didn't even like who, who who played in a kind of an unusual college game and didn't even, you know, that was those were weird times to be in college that he would have to step up a little bit there. I would have to talk to somebody like one of the people who's close with that team, like James Edwards, to make it happen. Yeah, I, I mean, any observations you have from watching him, Scott? I it's the most confounding thing to me. It has to be a, a combination of Jalen Duran is just not as much of a rim deterrent as yeah. his well, body they, suggests. They played, Duran hasn't played. They've got Bagley playing a lot too. They've got Wiseman playing a lot. So that's that's another another issue. Yeah, they're stocked with very large human beings who are not great at shutting off the rim. <laughs> Cornered the market on that. Um, yeah, there are a couple there are a couple markets that Troy Weaver has cornered that I don't think you need to corner. <laughs> have you ever brought your magic to walt disney world like hey we came to play did you tip your tiara to a creole princess or get goofy officially step up like a boss and save the day or see what life's like under the tree of life did you if you could would you when we come through it's true magic because we came to play Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Danny, how many hands do we have raised here? We got one, two, three. We have five more beyond Tyson. Okay, let's do it this way then. Let's do three minutes per person uh, in terms of both the question and the answer. Let's uh, let's get everyone on the on the clock here. Oh, you said five more beyond Tyson? Yeah, all right, we, we can do that. Yes. Tyson, let's go. You got uh, We got three minutes of our time here. Sorry to move you into the lightning round, but... No worries. Super quick Simmons-style question. In the interest of panicking, could you ever see a situation where you... Special advisor to the GM would go I to. I is still muted, so Octar, you no, get to go no, he's, next. He's it, talking. You, you just didn't hear him. Oh, are you sure? Ah. Yeah. No, I, I was hearing him the whole time. He said special advisor to the GM. Advisor to the GM. Oh, okay. I, got it. I got it now. Sorry about that. Uh, and say, it's time to trade Steph Curry and get as much as we can for him and get this reboot going. No, I, I wouldn't say that. Unless he wanted to be traded, no, I just wouldn't do it. Like, he's he's a good enough player, and it, they're, they're so close to the end now already that to just have him go through and finish his career in Golden State, it just, and, like, he'll be a draw for them if they're trying to make money for as long as they want to. So, no, I, I think they, uh, I would, I can't imagine a circumstance in which I would say trade Steph Curry. Danny? Without his, without his enthusiastic support, I wouldn't do it period i mean well, there, well, not there are certain he would have to like come to me and be like i really want to be traded please trade me. sure would it like uh charlotte what's it and he's like i would go to charlotte and charlotte said i will give you all the picks 
Would you well, prefer well, to I do mean, the coke? Yeah, it, but but like yeah, if he said he wanted to go there, yeah, I, I probably would would do it at, at that point. But like he's already won four championships, right? Like this isn't a case where Dame Lillard is looking for one and they're just yeah, he's not Ray no half. Yeah, that's, um, that's a, all fair enough. I just was having fun with the panicking after last night thing. <laughs> okay, Octar. Hey, how's it going? Um, I, you know, after listening to your 15 and 16, especially about, you know, how how good Tyrese Halliburton has been playing recently, um, I guess I'm just curious what it would take for him to get into the MVP discussion at the end of the year, because he is shooting lights out from three, as you discussed. I mean, the offensive rating is pretty insane with him on the floor. So, uh, yeah, what would it take for him to get into your, like, top three in MVP ballot? Um, well, just keep playing like this for another four months. <laughs> That's probably, I, I haven't looked at that closely. We're putting together the stats <laughs> for our first awards over the weekend, but I seems pretty unlikely to me that he's not going to rank in my top five, at least. I, I wish Halliburton were a better defender, but he, I think off the cuff, he has been the league's best offensive player so far. I think that offense is more important than defense on the individual level. So he will figure highly. And in terms of actually winning the award, there is always a, there's a, a precedent of you kind of had to be top five before, but if we're talking about to, to win it, but to be in the mix, like, I mean, he, he could potentially do it. And I, he's been awesome. All right. Great question. Let's uh, move on here. I apologize. have a great pronunciation on this. Is it Naeem? That's perfect. Yeah. Um, so my, yeah. Good job. Um, my quick, I, it was, it's actually a Tyrese question as well. Um, where would you rank him as an offensive player in the NBA? Is he top five or yeah, just where would you rank him? Yeah. Again, I probably, I need to look at it more closely, but I mean, hard, like their offensive rating with him on the floor is like a 128 right now, I think. And they're like, that's just insane. That's like a number, even over a month that we basically have never seen. And they don't really like have anyone else who's that great. So it's hard, hard to argue that he's not at least top five. Now, if I'm saying top five, like we haven't seen him in the playoffs or anything like that, you know, and he's going to need more talent around him if he's really going to kill in the playoffs, I would imagine. But at, at this point, certainly as a regular season offensive player, I don't know how you could possibly argue that he's not top five. And overall, I think we're just going to have to build out the sample. And can you do it in the playoffs? Can you do it against different coverages? And it, the Pacers aren't as good as some of the other teams that have dominant offensive players, but he's going to have that opportunity. And I mean, I was talking about how this could be the great, if depending on how it continues from this point, this is the building blocks of the greatest shooting season by a lead player who isn't Steph Curry in the history of the league. So that's, that's about as good a starting place as you can have. So hopefully it continues a pace from here. Let's go to Luke. You're next. Okay. Who says no? And what would it take? Jeremy Grant, and Malcolm Brogdon for Tobias Harris and filler salary like Marcus Morris. The problem is that I think Philly wants to aim higher than Jeremy Grant for that spot. I I, I presume that Maury would prefer OG to Jeremy Grant. That trade actually potentially would be more likely to happen. Let's call it July 5th, where then let's say Philly doesn't get their first two or three targets in free agency. It's okay, well, then what else can we do? And that potentially opened up Zach Levine and a few other guys. Like, what are other ways that we can use cap space? I believe that the Sixers are going to be, and I don't mean this as a criticism, optimistic in terms of what they can do. So they're only going to give up that space for someone who is clearly an all-star player, ideally an all-NBA player. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think they're more interested in what's behind door number two uh, at this point in time. Even re-signing Tobias Harris, they might be more interested in that than uh, actually trading something for that package just because Grant's uh, contract is probably a little onerous. I I think the way that Grant gets traded is a team sends back bad salary to Portland and the difference between Grant and the bad salary coming back in terms of how good a player they are is where you get the value. Philly doesn't really have any bad salary right now. Finally. (laughs) So, Charlie, you're next. Hey, good to be back on with you fellas. I'm wondering, um, as you're evaluating these rookies, I'm curious how the two of you balance the art of sort of knowing when to avoid judging too hastily as you take a guy's uh, potential and development into consideration versus coming to that like efficient call when you feel someone just doesn't have a baseline level of talent to stick in the NBA past their rookie deal. Um, I feel like year after year I've been scolded 
by my fellow Bucks fans to practice patience um, as I as I voice my pessimism about our first round picks. But there's also that sweet spot where like, you know, you still might be able to get something back for a dude if he has a little of that mystique as a rookie um, before he does the used car drive off the lot completely thing. So I'm curious kind of what your process is and where you fall on that and maybe some notable hits and misses um, calling rookies either accurately quickly or or too quickly unaccurately. I can do a couple quickly. So one is, are they an NBA caliber athlete? What percentile do they fit in there? Because if you're below average, then you're going to need to do some other stuff really, really well in order for for me to believe that you're going to stick. There are guys who do it every year, but there's going to need to be that. Zanin Musa, I think is a really good example for me of somebody who I thought he was below as an athlete. And then I didn't believe in the other stuff. Once I saw him in person, I felt more confident in it. And then the calling card, the NBA skill, is it a guy who not only has a good jump shot, but maybe the signs of a potentially versatile jump shot? Jordan Hawkins is a, is a kind of a prototypical young guy example there. But is it, you know, passing? Is it you run the like your motor? Like if you have a really, really good motor length, something like that. And for me, those are those are the kinds of things that I'm looking for early on is is like athleticism, the athlete level and then the calling card. Someday we'll do a pod where we kind of throw out some of our like best and worst takes over the years uh, and that we were we felt we were really early on some of these. Uh, you know, I mean, what this isn't really a, you know, because it, it's tough, the, the framing that you had of who's going to just not be a rotation player at all. I think that's that's really difficult for me to say, even after two or, or three years. The things I look for there are just on film, like you said, like just not being an NBA athlete. Number two is the thing that everyone said that you're supposed to really be good at, you're not good at, particularly if that thing is isn't shooting, right? Let's say you you got drafted to be like this defensive stopper and like, oh wait, you're not athletic enough. You're not long enough. Like you're not able to just like physically stay in front of people. Like that's when you can't do the thing that the scouts are like, oh yeah, this is like your big calling card here. That's always a problem because if you got drafted to that thing, you can't do it. Then what else do you have at that point? Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's really would take probably three, almost maybe even four years at times for me to just like totally write a guy off as like, oh, this guy will never become a rotation player at the higher levels you know there are things where i'm like okay like ben simmons i just after his second year i was just like no he's just never going to get better as a shooter that was my evaluation and i will change it when i see something some reason to change it and i haven't right like that was when i thought i was very early i said the sixers should trade ben simmons uh after that second uh playoffs in 2019 when he just was hanging out in the dunker spot full time and i'll add one other thing quickly one thing that I, I I feel pride that Nate and I have in common is that I think you could trace this, trace this in part to our legal backgrounds, which is the idea of the willingness to modify our opinions and incorporate new information. I am never tethered to, I thought this guy was going to be great. Therefore, I'm going to keep saying he's great, even after I don't think that's the case. Like, you can hear me publicly waver on Kate Cunningham and the, and the idea that I, I'm not sure how I should feel about my prior or for guys like Franz Wagner, I was straight up wrong. Like what I saw in film, what I saw in summer league that we have, we have new information that is more, that is more persuasive to me than what we had before. And there are people, and sometimes there are, there are industries built around this idea of like holding to steady your priors. And I'm proud that you and I, we still do it sometimes because it's, it, it has, it has heft, but it doesn't have as much heft. Yeah, I guess um, the last go- thing I'll say, one, one more thing, is just sure. the film is much more persuasive for me to write a guy off or change my opinion on him than the stats because you just the, the film means more earlier to me. Like that's yes. more predictive. It's like if I see the guy's jump shot or if I see it in person too, I'm just like, man, like this guy's form, bro. Like a Johnny Davis, for example, right? Where it's just like, no, this guy's form is broken. Like he's not. The first the first time I watched Michael K. Gilchrist take warm ups, I just went, oh. Yeah. The, yeah. Like it, it, where you're just like, oh, if, if this guy doesn't, change his form significantly like they're just it's never gonna go in like that that sort of thing um yeah all right oh and one other one other very quick interesting thing i periodically get intel on whether a guy's a good kid or a bad kid in certain ways i've actually found that actually it it doesn't necessarily help me because sometimes the people who are providing the information are not reliable narrators let's put it that way um last question young geriatric let's go yeah hi guys sorry um First question or only question. Uh, watching the Pacers a lot recently, 
beginning to feel that uh, pace or running is the largest, lowest hanging fruit in the league. And I don't remember any of the guys in the Pacers being particularly praised for being cardiovascular athletes. Um, so I'm just wondering if you guys think this is something that teams should really start focusing on, on training their guys for and just help them elevate themselves. You can see the Warriors kind of falling off for the same reasons of not running. So, yeah. Um, yeah, being old kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that's and that, that's what it comes down to right and what? well and and another thing that the pacers do well is they have multiple guys who can fill a lot of roles so obi toppin plays really hard when he's out there but if it playing him 35 minutes doing what he's doing beyond all the other flaws would be a problem they have aaron neesmith they have all these other guys and they have some guys that have very good cardio and so the answer is yes the challenge is just how many hours do you have in the day what is the aptitude for that but and are you really willing to sacrifice whatever else you're prioritizing as an organization to play those dudes? So I think it's it, it may end up being more of a nice if you have it, but then something you prioritize because there are a lot of other things that matter too. I think too, a lot of it is mentality to be sure, but you have to have the, the personnel. I don't know that it's necessarily as much of like a fitness thing because grinding out possessions in the half court in some ways can be hard. Like if all you have to do is just run up and down the court one time, that's a lot easier than all right, you, and particularly even, even on defense too, it's, it, it's probably just running back is a lot easier than having to crash into the paint, then close all the way out, then crash into the paint again, fight in the post. So I, I'm not sure that just like running up and down the floor once, like at a, you know, called an eight tenths speed, which is about what most NBA players run the floor at. Because if you get going 10 tenths, you're just going to like run through the cameras on the other side. Like you got to be kind of under control. So uh, I, I think that that's, it's not necessarily like you have to be in that much better shape. I think a lot of it's mentality, but it's also having great passers. It's having guys who can get to the basket and finish in transition and also having like really good three-point shooting guys you have to guard at the arc. Like Buddy Heal is really important to their running. Toppin is really important to their running. Tyrese, obviously, like the hit-ahead passing is huge. Not a lot of teams do that. So there are a lot of components to it, but I do agree that for the right teams, it really can be extremely valuable. It's just, you know, this year's Houston Rockets are probably not that team, right? <laughs> so you, you do need someone who, uh, probably three guys, who really fit into that mold if you're going to be one of these like crazy running teams like the Kings or the or uh the Pacers anything else there YG are we uh no questions uh great answer appreciate it guys all right and we appreciate you all for being subscribers and if you're listening on the public pod we encourage you to subscribe especially if you want to get our in-season tournament coverage uh, next week those are probably both of our covers of cover of the quarterfinals are going to be for dunked on prime subscribers only and of course you can get into our discord where we have mailbags chats these live mailbags uh, as well and of course you can interact uh, with your fellow basketball nerds uh, who uh, had uh, these great questions today so uh yeah thanks everyone to subscribing and for helping us uh, sell this product uh, as well we look forward to talking to y'all again tomorrow at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.